You're listening to Screw It, Just Do It, the number one rated weekly podcast in which I, Alex Chisnell, chat to the risk takers, the doers, and the dreamers that have exhibited the perseverance and determination to do things their way, no matter what anyone else told them, the winners and the losers. Past guests include BBC TV dragons, lords, ladies, celebrities, and billionaires. Listen to BBC Dragons' Stephen Bartlett, celebrities such as Fleur Reist and James Haskell, founders of billion-dollar businesses such as Lush's Rowena Bird, Ted Baker's Ray Kelvin, Boohoo's Adam Kamani, and Phones for You, John Cordwell. Not forgetting best-selling authors like Mark Victor Hansen, David Meltzer, Lewis Howes, and not forgetting co-revere founder Lord Villamoria. They all talk us through their successes and failures and offer actionable tips for those following in their footsteps. You get to take on board all of the learnings and none of the failure. Welcome to another episode of Screw It, Just Do It with me, Alex, and my very special guest this week, Roman Chiparuka. Roman is the co-founder and CEO of Space VIP. They've got over two decades of extensive expertise in luxury travel that enables Roman to instill his personalized methods to include off-planet pursuits. Yes, you heard me right when I said off-planet. Guided by the mission to rally, unite, and encourage cross-collaboration between countries and across industries, Roman seeks to leverage resources, opportunity, and passion to improve life on Earth. Without further ado, screw it, just do it, Roman Chiparuka. So Roman, thank you for joining me today. And I want to kick things off by asking, is there a screw it, just do it moment or a series of moments in your life that took you from where you were to what are you doing now, which is pretty damn amazing? (laughs) Thanks, Alex. It's great to be here. Yes, absolutely. I remember when we were first introduced to Axiom Space. Axiom is the company that has the contract from NASA to build the replacements in the International Space Station. And they had said, you know, we've heard a lot of interesting things about your business and your clientele. And uh, we'd, we'd love your assistance in promoting these missions to the International Space Station. And everyone thought that I was nuts. And I just said, yes, that would be a fascinating adventure to go on and essentially started, learned more about the mission and the requirements and, and the focus of it. And then just went out there and started talking about it. And I remember people saying like, oh, you're crazy. Space is for the future. And I just kept plugging along and saying, no, a lot of people are doing space now. It's the cultural zeitgeist. The James Webb telescope is coming online. There's so much investment and and focus. And two years later, we introduced the third and final astronaut for the AX-1 mission. And that mission was a huge success. They went and came back at the end of April of uh, 2022. And Then we started a space company to aggregate all of the operators and then a nonprofit to promote universal space literacy. And if you had told me five years ago that I would be involved in this uh, level in, in new space, which is what this industry is called, I would just laugh. But here we are. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say that's certainly a big screw it. Just do it in its essence. Yeah. And where did your interest in space start? Like, were you uh, particularly interested, you know, uh, in space as a child? Or is this just something like for most people, it's, you know, been part of 
um, our culture growing up and, you know, we knew about the expeditions back in the 60s and the 70s, etc. And then now, you know, the, for me, it feels like there's some real momentum behind this now and the new pioneers that are out there. No, I had absolutely zero interest. I wasn't a kid who was interested in going to space camp. I think my only exposure to space was passing the Yuri Gagarin statue in my native Moscow and wondering who that guy was. It wasn't until we were successfully involved with AX1 where I realized that the public didn't really know much about space and being naturally curious, I started doing research and then I realized that 40 to 50% of the things that we take for granted in our current uh, daily existence actually comes from space or is a direct result of space. Like this interview, for example, is based on technology that was created decades ago, or the fact that GPS is uh, the unlikely child of the space race. And if, if you think about it, your Uber delivery or your Uber that took you from your house to your work, that's based on technology that was invented for space and just reappropriated to life on this planet. Exercise equipment was created to battle muscle atrophy in astronauts. And all of these things I learned as a result of just becoming interested in space. And then the more you learn about space, the more you realize that the observation of Earth, uh, climate change, uh, the the ocean currents and, and what goes on this planet is is only as a result of being able to view the Earth from space. So all of the fascinating satellite technology and the communication that we have is a direct result of that. And people just don't think about that as they're glued to their phones, commenting negatively on the billionaires that are trying to pioneer all of these fascinating expeditions and, and research. And that's not even touching upon the innovations that have come from the medical side from space for Earth. And, and where did the... The initial relationship come from then with with axiom that you, you mentioned right at the start then was that from your existing network did they reach out to you how, how did that kind of come together yeah it was an introduction from our existing network i think they'd been looking to connect with uh, folks who had the relationship with the potential clientele and i found it really interesting that there was a, a mission purpose. It wasn't just go up to space and hang out. It was partnering with research institutions and medical companies to do research, space-based research for, for Earth. And, you know, and that's something that people forget. If we can figure out a way to use less water in an effort to live on another planet, we could just use that sort of technology in Cape Town, South Africa, or Los Angeles, California, which has massive water shortages. So I think there's a lot of really interesting space-based innovation uh, for improvement on life on Earth. So that really resonated with me. And again, the more you kind of go down the rabbit hole, the more you learn, uh, the more you're intrigued and you continue reading all of these fascinating and strange white papers uh, written by scientists. Um, in the last couple of years. So if we're utilizing the technology that was invented 40 or 50 years ago now, imagine what we can do if we continue to focus on this. Imagine what our children will have as a result. So I think that's really, really interesting and, and intrepid and 
innovating. So I'm really pleased to be part of the process, which is why in addition to our entry point into space, we've also started a nonprofit to promote gender equity and universal space literacy to get people involved and interested in these sort of things. We spent quite a bit of money writing the first open source space curriculum that is now available and it's essentially junior high school plus. So as long as you know how to read and you go to school, you'll find this interesting. Erica, my wife and business partner, read it um, the other month and said, I don't know much about space, but this was extremely um, informative. So we're really proud of that and are now working to share it with the world because that was always the, the, the intent. And I'd like to find out a little bit more about that. But before then, interested to know again, so, so your network, you know, the network you have, is that something that you develop from an early age or is it something that has come naturally through the organic growth of the business that, that you and Erica have? Because it's, it's clearly a powerful thing. And I think, again, for me, it's one of those things that should be taught at school. It's only something I discovered very late on in life. But, you know, from then, you know, from your network comes great relationships, comes great opportunities and the opportunity to help more and more people which is you know one of the things that you're doing now so yeah interested to know does it come from an early age or does it come more organically from the growth of the business roman thanks for asking that alex it's a really interesting question i feel like the person that i am today is a result of my childhood my father worked in the oil business in russia while i was growing up my mother didn't speak much english so i was the de facto head of the household and i had to call the banks or deal with people so i feel like i learned to ask for things at a very early age i knew more than a child should probably know about the ups and downs of family finances and that helped me not be afraid and as a child dealing with adults and asking them for things, which is something that I try to teach my children, obviously, in a more productive way. I don't ask my children to call uh, the bank and tell them to waive the late fee, but I tell them to engage the waiter or the waitress in the restaurant and say, hello, my name is so-and-so, I would like the following. So I think that's really a useful tool to not be afraid and I, I was a cold caller for a nonprofit in college. So that ability to get on the phone with a stranger and just talk your way into something, I think is really fascinating, which helps me not be afraid and, and reach for the stars. So and do you think, you know, that attitude, you know, the one of collaboration is think of the right phrase is becoming you know more popular or do you think people you know that kind of growth mindset or do you think people are becoming more protective of what they have and what they're willing to I mean your experience probably tells us that the positive eh? shines a light on the positive yeah I think you know to be absolutely frank the advent of social media and and everyone's ability to have a voice and an opinion may not be so positive because then we become so absorbed in, you're so absorbed in your phone that you actually don't look up to engage the world around you. And interaction becomes 
virtual rather than looking someone in the eye and engaging them and asking them, how are you? I think things have become really gamified, whether, and and so people associate their self-esteem or success to the number of likes that they're getting and actually looking up from your phone to see the world around you and to realize that you don't, yes, we all have our own different sets of issues and problems and hardships that we're going through. But again, in some idealistic way, I think a bit of empathy and kindness towards ourselves and and one another would go a really, a really long way. I don't know if that really answers your your questions and I'm going off on a tangent, but there's, there's tremendous opportunity to collaborate. And I feel like we're missing it a little bit because we're so self-centered. And I'm the first to admit that I I struggle with this because when you're stuck in traffic, it's the jerk in front of me who's driving slow. It's not me who left 15 minutes later and is now subsequently stuck in traffic. So I express my anger on you rather than realizing that, you know what, I'm alive. I have food in my stomach and water next to me and my family's here. So it's it's okay to be stuck in five minutes of traffic. It's not the end of the world, but I feel like we we all tend to be so self-centered in that sense that you forget that you're a being on this thing that's floating through you know the, this this infinite galaxy and who knows of all of the other fascinating things that are out there. And, and if we just kind of zoomed out of ourselves a bit, imagine what else we could see and experience yeah agreed and i think it's it, it's that thing as well with that, that kind of self-absorbment that comes from you know the phone the you know smartphone and people living their lives through the other people that they're seeing on their phone and not like as you say looking up and actually enjoying the experience of, of living and, and being themselves but interested to know them what drives you to think that there is, you know, real business opportunities in traveling to space? I think our audience would love to know your your take on that. Well, first, I'd like to talk about this concept of the overview effect. And if you're if you're familiar with it, the overview effect has been cataloged by every single astronaut that has gone to space. And essentially, what it is is as a citizen of this planet, when you see the planet that you're from, from outer space, you don't see it as a place of conflict. You don't see it like you and I would see it on a Google map with borders or dogmas or nonsense or this infighting. You see it as this beautiful blue planet, and there's a pervasive sense of interconnectedness that you immediately feel. So imagine when a person of means or or a big thinker goes up there, experiences this, comes down with true opportunity to exact change. And there's a beautiful story about an Ameri- I think it was an American astronaut that went to space, came back down and they landed in Kazakhstan, I think. And his first comment was it feels so good to be home. But he wasn't home. He was thousands of miles from home. And that's what I mean about this interconnectedness and empathy, because it's irrelevant that you're black, I'm white, she's blue, he's Haitian. It doesn't matter who you sleep next to at night or what your sexual preference is. Just be a good and kind human being and think about 
that. So in this overview effect is is an incredible concept and their opportunities to experience this without spending tens of millions of, of, of dollars. And, and that's why we started Space VIP is we wanted to offer the world all of these experiences that aren't as uh, as heard about as you know the two or three operators that are well known to the public you can do a zero gravity flight and experience weightlessness and that's you know seven or eight thousand dollars i'm not saying that that's cheap but that's affordable more or less and what i experienced on my zero gravity flight after you know the first 45 minutes of doing crazy backflips and doing the Superman across the whole fuselage of the plane, when I actually calmed down a little bit, it was incredible to just push off with your finger and see how much impact that has. And and that's impactful in in a different way. Going on a zero gravity flight is not the same as seeing the the Earth from space. If you enjoy listening to podcasts and you feel inspired to start your own, you can get a copy of my free podcast launch checklist by going to podpreneur.co.uk forward slash launch checklist. And if you'd like the hands-on help and support of myself and my team at my podcast agency, Podpreneur, we've been producing podcasts with purpose internationally since 2019. Just drop me a line about your podcast idea to alex at podpreneur.co.uk. But if you prefer to do it all yourself, but with my guidance, you can join the waitlist for my upcoming podcast academy by going to podpreneur.co.uk forward slash academy. Correct me if I got the dates wrong, but in 2020, you, you helped sell the last of only three tickets for a 10-day mission to the International Space Station question that most listeners are going to be asking is how do you sell a 50 million dollar ticket to anything i talked to a lot of people and i just kept talking to them and my approach was you never know where the introduction is going to come from so no matter what your business is no matter what your industry is try to always think outside of the box because the person who's working for you doing, um, I don't know, back of the house packing or shipping may be friends with, uh, childhood friends with somebody whose parents are worth a billion dollars and they might be interested. So, and you know, that that's further to never judging a book by its cover and, and being tenacious and, and consistent because everyone called me nuts in 2018. They're like, you're going to be selling tickets to space? Ha, huh, good luck. I had somebody say to me, Roman, thank you, but I'm not interested. The only way I'm leaving this planet is when I die and go to heaven, which I thought was really amusing. And now people are actively going to the edge of space or doing suborbital flights. Axiom is well on their way to filling the, the third and fourth missions that they have. So things are things are happening, things are moving in, in, in the right direction. And do you think, you know, at the moment, the perception is that you need to be, you know, multi, multi-millionaire, billionaire even to be able to do that. And you, you obviously mentioned, you know, the, the sub-weightlessness that, that you experienced yourself. But do you think it's, it, it's almost like, you know, when the first plasma 
TV came out, that cost an astronomical amount of money. And over time, the price will eventually come down because the technology improves to enable people to get there. You see that? You hear that? I do. Yes, absolutely. But it also, there, there's a bit more here than the plasma TVs. And I think that's a great example. People also need to take a greater interest. With, with televisions, there was a need and desire and understanding. Oh, it's flat. It's a flat screen. It's massive. I can fit it everywhere. Okay. At first it was $15,000. Now you can get a 70 inch screen for 800 bucks. People don't know enough about space to take a greater interest in it in a more meaningful way. So in order for the prices to come down, you need more people to be interested, more people to be engaged. And that's precisely why we're really focused on Space Prize, which is our nonprofit promoting universal space literacy. That's why we designed the curriculum, which is essentially like Space 101. It talks about the basics of space, the space, the genesis of the space race, what we have currently going on and all of the private investments into the space industry, as well as more philosophical things like what laws will govern us when we do, in fact, become an interplanetary species. So it takes interest from the public to get engaged and to say, I want more of, of this. And I think it's, I know that the billionaires unfortunately get a bad rap for it, but as, as I pointed out earlier, the technology that we're so dependent on today was invented decades ago. So the technology and the investments that are being built now, we will be grateful for in 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And if we've come this far this quick, imagine what else we can do if, uh, if people become interested and, and, and properly engaged. Now, I like that. And it leads me nicely on to talking about the Space Prize. Can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to, to start this and where the locations are at the moment? I understand New York, Paris, Portugal. Is that, is that correct? So Space Prize started in New York City because that's where we are based. And our concept was let's pick public schools in the area and let's engage in a writing contest. So the writing prompt should be loose enough to get people who are not interested in space engaged. So for New York City, the writing prompt was the overview effect is known as the shift in consciousness when you see the earth from space. Tell us a time when your perspective was changed and how that's affected your life. That's open-ended enough to get everyone involved to participate because the people interested in space are already interested. Our focus is to get the folks that are not interested in science and technology and aerospace in, involved. And so the winners went on a zero gravity flight. They were paired with uh, successful female mentors in the STEM community, and we donated a telescope to their schools in order to cast a wide net because the telescope will pay dividends for many, many years, right? You'll have many students that will have the opportunity to look up and, and take an interest. And then we realized that sending these women and pairing them with mentors was wonderful, but we wanted to have more of an impact. So we came up with the concept of building the space curriculum that I had mentioned, because we thought that if if we built the curriculum and shared it with the schools, the schools and the teachers can offer that to the students as 
an additional resource. You, you know, we're not asking the schools to embed our curriculum into their science curriculum because we know the limitations uh, of the school teachers and, and the things that, that they have the time to do and not to do. So we just said, share this with uh, share this with your students, uh, share this with your schools, use it as an addition, as a supplemental resource. Read chapter one, six, and nine, read from end to beginning, do, do whatever you like, whatever piques your interest, but just in, engage. And we think that's really meaningful because, again, people don't know that the Peloton or the, uh, you know, the exercise equipment in the corner of their room was created for space. You're wearing glasses. Did you know that scratch-resistant lenses came from space or that LASIK, uh, which I have, has come from space technology? So, and, and the list goes on and on of the incredible innovation. They're doing incredible Parkinson's and cancer research. Cosmetics companies are sending their products to space because it's easier to blend certain compounds in zero gravity than it is on Earth. And that's our only goal in in building this curriculum is to share these really interesting points with the world in an effort to inspire more interest. And the more people are interested, the more they will get involved. And to your point, uh, if more people are interested and involved, then costs will come down because there is power in the masses. Yeah, absolutely. And you talked a little bit before about the overview effect and also universal space literacy. Can you tell us a little bit about space VIP? Kind of mentioned a tiny little bit about the ocean before, but you know, space-related experiences. I think you know people are eternally fascinated by you know going to places that aren't very well documented and you know which makes us curious you know human beings etc so i uh, would love for you to tell us a little bit more about space vip please uh, Ryan. sure so space vip was created shortly after the success of the axiom engagement where we realized that there was no one place that you can go to to get all of your space operator information and it all started with me trying to understand the lay of the land, and my first questions. It my first questions were consumer questions. What is it? How much does it cost? Where do I do it? Is there training involved? And how long do I tell my wife I won't be home for? So I started a spreadsheet for myself, which later evolved into SpaceVIP.com, where you have an outline of every experience, what it is, how long the training is, where you get to do it. And we, we wanted to have one place where all of that information was shared so that the public would know that, listen, you can go do an analog mission. And an analog mission is essentially experiencing a lunar or Martian surface, but on Earth. So you remember the movie Biodome from many years ago, where they live in a, in a confined space with limited resources and need to survive? That's what an analog mission is. And you can do that right now in Hawaii or in the Negev Desert in Israel. And that experience is anywhere from five to $10,000. And you get to do research and exist on your own for a week. You can do simulation training, so you could mimic a Virgin Ascent or, or some of the other operators. There is G-force training where they spin you 
around and you could experience uh, that. You can do training in the world's ocean, which a lot of the astronauts do because being in the water is similar to being in a zero gravity environment. The zero G plane, there's one in the United States that travels the United States and that's called Go Zero G or there's Nove Space, which is based in Bordeaux in France, which we're using for our Parisian and Portuguese uh, winners. Um, there's an incredible company called Space Perspective, um, which in my opinion is one of the lowest barriers to entry for space tourism. And that is an eight person capsule attached to a hydrogen balloon that flows 20 miles above the Earth's surface, where you can see the curvature of the Earth and the darkness of the cosmos. And there's a bathroom and a bar on this. And it's a pressurized capsule. So it's like being on an airplane, but higher. And you get to experience all of these things. And it's a six-hour experience, so you can effectively be home for lunch. That is $125,000 per person for a six-hour experience. Um, there are new companies rolling out that will be doing trips to lower Earth orbit, which is around Earth uh, and probably be priced under $10 million. So again, you can see a lot of different operators coming on board and there's other folks besides NASA who are building space stations. So then they're going to be companies that will be going from one space station to another to bring payloads and maybe people. And all we're trying to do is ha with Space VIP is to give people the lay of the land to know that these experiences exist and to just guide them as to the sequence of how they'd like to experience them based on their interests. So we don't have an agenda. It's almost like, calling a travel agent and saying, well, where should I stay? The Four Seasons or the Peninsula? They're both great properties. You know, oh, I know you like the color uh, blue and uh, a particular aesthetic, so maybe you should stay at one versus the other. So it's about understanding who the consumer is and just saying based on what the little that we've learned about you, we suggest you having a conversation with this particular uh, operator to start uh, your experience. Got it. And I mean, I find it fascinating. And I know it's the first time in six years that we've ever had a conversation like this on the podcast. So I know our audience is going to find it incredibly fascinating as well. And for those who you know want to learn more about universal space literacy, Where's the best place for them to go and, and obviously to, to learn more about the, the future of space travel and the, the space prize, etc.? Sure. So the curriculum is open and available to everyone right now. And you can go to spaceeducation.org. If you're keen to learn more about space prize or are interested in building your own space prize and wherever you're located, please go to spaceprize.org. And then Space VIP is spacevip.com, and that has a lot of information about the various operators and the missions that are available now and, and later. Thank you, Alex. This was great fun. I appreciate it. I certainly will. Thanks again. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, can I encourage you to follow the show by clicking the plus button in the top right-hand corner of your screen if you're listening by Apple Podcasts or the follow button on Spotify and other platforms. 
It means you'll be the first to be notified whenever a new episode goes live. Did you know that nearly half of podcast listeners find a show through searching online? So if you've gotten any value at all, please share this episode with one or more of your friends and make it easy for them to find a podcast you think they'll enjoy. If you'd like to join the Screw It Just Do It community, go to podpreneur.co.uk slash get in touch, sign up to our weekly newsletter and free resources. That's podpreneur.co.uk forward slash get-in-touch. That's podpreneur.co.uk forward slash get-in-touch.